It's Wednesday, July 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. A new report from the Department of Homeland Security, Office of the Inspector General, has discovered extreme overcrowding, prolonged detention stays, and health risks at several Border Patrol stations in South Texas. The Associated Press has also released a video of a 12-year-old girl describing the poor care at a Border Patrol station in Clint, Texas. Steph Kite, reporter for Axios, joins us for more on the situation at the border. Next, the House Ways and Means Committee has sued the Treasury Department and the IRS for six years of President Trump's tax returns, setting off a legal battle that could end up at the Supreme Court. The administration has fought all efforts to release Trump's financial records and has called the effort to obtain them politically motivated. Joshua Rosenberg, tax correspondent for Law360, joins us for what to know. Finally, World UFO Day was yesterday, and a new report by SatelliteInternet.com has listed the states with the most UFO sightings. If you're interested in spotting something, you might want to head up north. My producer Miranda joins us for where to spot UFOs and what are the five observables that UFOs exhibit. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Hispanics love what I'm doing because, number one, they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to take a pay cut. And very importantly, most importantly, they don't want to have crime. Joining us now is Steph Kite, immigration reporter for Axios. The Department of Homeland Security Office of the Inspector General has just released a new report. They toured a few Border Patrol stations in the Rio Grande Valley, and they found a lot of extreme overcrowding, prolonged detention stays, health risks. They've released pictures of all this stuff. Some of these pictures are pretty shocking. There's standing room only in some of these detention centers and and cells that are, one of them had 81 men in a cell that was only designed to fit 40 people. Tell us a little bit about this new report. This is another report. The Office of the Inspector General at, at DHS has actually come out with a few reports over the past few months highlighting some of these issues at the Border Patrol stations. This one, yet again, really shows the extreme overcrowding in many of these stations. There are thousands of migrants being held in these CBP facilities, which are only meant to be short-term facilities. So Border Patrol is only supposed to have migrants for a maximum of 72 hours, and it's really just to process migrants, to get basic information about where they came from, their age, basic information that, that Border Patrol takes. And then Immigration and Customs Enforcement is supposed to actually take care of migrants for the longer term, and children are supposed to go to Health and Human Services. But what's happening is because all of these different agencies are so backlogged because of this surge of migrants we've seen at the border over the past few months, Border Patrol is being forced to keep them much longer. So they're actually surpassing that 72-hour standard that CBP has set and that court settlements have implemented as, as the limit for holding children in Border Patrol facilities. So hundreds of these kids, thousands of migrants overall are being held in these facilities longer than the time that's supposed to be the limit according to CBP's own standards. Yeah, when the Office of Inspector General went and visited these Border Patrol stations, there were around 8,000 migrants held there. 43% of them had been held beyond that 72-hour limit and then close to a third of the 3,000 migrant children also. Tell us some of the takeaways of this report because some of it is so horrible sounding. There was no Mm -hmm. access to showers for children in some cases. 
There were mm-hmm. migrants that were being held for as long as a month and had not had a shower. They were just given wet wipes instead. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff going on here. At some of these stations, there was no access to showers for kids or adults, something that, again, CBP's own standards require. For many of these kids, they didn't have really any opportunity to even change their clothes or do laundry. And of course, they've probably been traveling for a long time and are dirty and have been through a lot. Two of the centers didn't even provide hot meals for the kids in their custody. They did provide snacks and sandwiches in some cases, and they had baby formula and juice and and other things, but they weren't giving them full meals. And while they tried, Border Patrol would try to keep families and kids and cells with the doors open, trying to make it as least restrictive as possible. But in some cases, because of sicknesses and other issues, they were forced to keep lots of kids and families shut in these small cell spaces. And in the report, you can see images of women and children kind of crammed together in these small spaces with aluminum blankets to keep warm. It's really harrowing images that you see in these reports. Yeah, the Office of Inspector General also had to end their visit early at one of the sites because their presence was aggravating the situation there. People were behind the wall and they were like banging on the walls trying to say, look, I've been here for months, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was just becoming a whole situation that they had to leave. This is all coming at a time also when the Associated Press just posted a pretty dramatic video of a 12-year-old girl who Mm -hmm. was in this border patrol station in Clint, Texas, the one that had over 700 kids at some point in a facility that was designed for about 100 adults. They moved the kids out, they cleaned it up, they moved some back. But they posted a video of her talking to her lawyer or her family's lawyer And what she was describing is very much what was in this report that we were just talking about also. Children crying for their parents. She said they weren't being treated right and, and, you know, given really crappy food and things like that. It's really powerful to hear a child actually talking about their own experience in these conditions. And, of course, this is going to leave a lasting imprint in her life and in many of these kids' lives. And so hearing her talk about not being fed good food and being surrounded by other young children who are crying for their parents or their aunts and their uncles and being in a facility for that long when you're only supposed to be there for 72 hours. And the child also said that there were some who had been held in Border Patrol facilities for more than a month. And when I visited the border a little while ago and speaking with other people, I'm sure Border Patrol officials, they're trying to do the best they can. These facilities are simply not designed to care for kids and families in this way. And we're seeing this breakdown right in front of us. We're hoping that relief will come very soon on all of this. The president signed an emergency $4.6 billion border funding package that a lot of the money is supposed to go to help some of this situation. What was in that bill and and what are we expecting to go to these border facilities? The funding is basically to help these agencies have more um, at their disposal to care for the surge of migrants that have come across the border and are now in government custody. The president has said that immigration raids will start happening after July 4th. The administration is also trying to impose hefty fines on migrants who have eluded deportation, in some cases charge them over $500,000. I mean, these people don't have this kind of money, so who knows how that will shake out. Steph Kite, immigration reporter at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. When you will see my financial statement at some point, I assume it's going to be released. You'll be very impressed with the job I've done. Joining us now is Joshua Rosenberg, tax correspondent at Law 360. The House's Tax Writing Committee has sued the U.S. Department of the Treasury 
and the IRS in federal court to get the president's tax returns. This is going to set off a legal battle that will probably end up at the Supreme Court. Everybody's been fighting this for a long time now. What do we know about this latest effort to get these tax returns? This really caps a months-long effort to secure these tax returns. The chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Richie Neal from Massachusetts, originally sent a request back in April for these. That request was rebuffed a number of times by the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin. Richie Neal then sent a subpoena for the same documents. We're talking about six years worth of President Donald Trump's personal tax returns, along with those of some related business entities. And the Treasury Department, along with congressional Republicans, have claimed that this is a politically motivated request from the chairman, and therefore they don't have to comply. In fact, the Department of Justice recently released an opinion claiming that much as well. And this now caps this months-long battle for these tax returns. And in fact, the, the debate over whether President Trump should disclose these goes back even further than that. What are the reasons that Richard Neal is using to make this request? Part of it is that they're trying to validate his authority to get any taxpayers returns upon request. Part of it is also that they want to make sure that the president has claimed, you know, he gets audited frequently. So they want to like look into that part of it as well. Am I right on these two points? Fairly close. Actually, the, the specific reasoning for his request is that he wants to review the IRS's internal procedures for auditing the president's tax returns, which that agency actually does annually anyway. So just by virtue of the fact that he's the president, the IRS audits his tax returns every year. And so the chairman, Richard Neal, has chosen that path for his reasoning, saying that he needs the tax returns themselves in order to effectively review these internal auditing processes that the IRS employs. Now, this whole process can take months, a year, a long time. There mm -hmm. is a clock on this because the current congressional session is going to end on January 3rd, 2021. And if nothing gets done by then, the entire process has to start all over again. Is that right? That's exactly right. And that's if the Democrats control either the House or the Senate in this new congressional session. The way the statute is written, Internal Revenue Code Section 6103, it's kind of an, an obscure, for most Americans, I would imagine, pretty obscure section of our law. But the way that statute is written, it gives the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, and or the Joint Committee on Taxation, the right to request these tax returns. And the Treasury Secretary then shall furnish those tax returns. But guess what? If you're not in the majority in either the House or the Senate, then you're not going to have a chairman, yeah, let's say, exactly. or chairwoman who's going to want to request these returns. This happened since before the president became the president, when he was still running. He kind of upended years and years of this tradition where presidential candidates would supply their tax returns. And I get where Richard Neal is going with this, the, the reasons that he's giving, but there is a tinge of politicalness on this. I mean, uh, Democrats have been wanting to see if there's any conflicts of interest in the president's past. They want to mm -hmm. get into his business dealings. They want to see how, if he has skirted the IRS in years past. So there is a little, a little bit of politics going on with it. That's the argument that Republicans 
Republicans have been making and likely will continue to make that this is not about the specific request from Chairman Neal about his desire to review IRS internal auditing processes. This is really about politics. And you have the ranking member on, on that committee, Kevin Brady from Texas, saying, well, this is just a fishing expedition. And if we allow the government to infringe upon the privacy rights of any American, including the president, then where is it going to end? And in contrast, you have Democrats saying, well, this is an important part of our oversight capacity. And yes, the president has contravened, if you will, 40 years roughly of norms for not just presidents, but presidential candidates by refusing to disclose his tax returns. Do we know where the public lies on this? I know early on, everybody wanted a piece of this. They all, everybody wanted to know, but has interest really waned in this since then? My instinct on that is that there are so many independent type investigations being conducted by these different committees in the House. The Democrats only control the House and they've only controlled it since the start of this new congressional session. And you have the House Oversight Committee, you have the the House Judiciary Committee run by Democrats, and they're conducting their own investigations. They're talking about subpoenaing all different members of the Trump administration. So it's an interesting question to ask whether this is breaking through this particular investigation, this particular question is breaking through. For most Americans, I don't know that I can answer that, to be honest. The fight continues for the tax returns, and it still looks like it has no end in sight. Joshua Rosenberg, tax correspondent at Law360. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So when we hear the word UFO, most people think you're talking about aliens or conspiracies. Typically, it ends up being identified as a drone or a satellite, even a weather balloon. There are still 5% of UFO reports that don't ever get explained. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. Yesterday, July 2nd, was World UFO Day. It's one of those stories that I always love to talk about because it's it's kind of fun. And Fourth of July, there's always stuff in the skies. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and UFO news has been around a lot more lately because there was incident reports from the U.S. Navy pilots. They're coming out with new guidelines for how to report that stuff. There was a bunch of senators that were briefed on recent UFO stories also. So there was a study that was just done talking about where all the states rank as far as how many UFO sightings there are. And they have a list of the top states and then the states where there was the least amount of UFO sightings. What do we know about that, Miranda? Well, let's first start by talking about what a UFO even is. It's anything in the sky that you can't identify. It's an identified flying object. So in the late 1940s, the Air Force started using that phrase to describe any kind of mysterious aircraft. So when we hear the word UFO, most people think you're talking about aliens or conspiracies. Typically, it ends up being identified as a drone or a satellite, even a weather balloon. There are still 5% of UFO reports that don't ever get explained. So, But this is such a thing that people have such strong connections to, Mm -hmm. and they don't even want to believe the explanation when you tell them it's a drone or a (laughs) satellite or something like that. Weather balloon. Yeah, exactly. So the states with the most UFO sightings are Maine, Alaska, Vermont, Montana, and Washington has the most UFOs. And the states with the fewest sightings are Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama. So if you want to see a UFO, go to Washington. If you don't want to see a UFO, Go to Texas. Yeah, in the study, they make that clear distinction. Uh, Most of the sightings are coming from the north rather than the south. They don't really explain why, but they do say a lot of them were made 
more in the summer months. You know, it's a lot clearer out. People are actually outside more. Right. So that's another thing. They've done surveys from Chapman University that show how many people believe in intelligent alien life. And that one's pretty interesting. In 2016, it was only 27% of Americans that believed aliens have visited our planet at some point in the past. But in 2018, that number went up. It jumped to 41.4% of people saying that they believe aliens have visited Earth in our ancient past. And so that's a 14 percentage point rise in just the last two years, Oscar. I'm really curious if that has to do with a rise in just more, you know, social media, things on YouTube. You know, you go down that rabbit hole and you start seeing more alien stuff. Well, there's and then you shows, tend to it. History Channel, there's Ancient shows, Aliens and all right. of that. There's Alien Con that just happened. So what are the tools of the trade? A lot of uh, UFO hunters <laughs> end up using binoculars, night vision goggles, cameras. You got to have a lot of patience and you, you got to look at it. All of For this study, they use data from the National UFO Reporting Center, their online database, which chronicles sites all over the place. We had mentioned that the Navy was making new guidelines for pilots to report this stuff because they were happening in increasing numbers. And a lot of pilots were fearful that they thought, you know, maybe you'd be a crackpot if you came forward with right. this. But they wanted to legitimize this because the government's been studying this for a long time. And one of the people that headed up this department or the Department of Defense, his name is Luis Elizondo. He's doing some stuff with the History Channel now. He has something called the five observables. These are UFO traits that Navy fighters have seen, and it defies their explanation. What are those? So the first one is something called anti-gravity lifts. So unlike known aircraft, like planes, for example, these objects are sighted overcoming the Earth's gravity with no visible means of propulsion. So they just kind of move suddenly without any kind of sound. But they also don't have any flight surfaces like wings or the propellers of a helicopter. Also, these crafts are sometimes tubular, like they look like a Tic Tac candy. That's why you have that popular saucer shaped image in your head. Everybody kind of describes them as that sometimes. Smooth, rounded edges, right. They also have sudden and instantaneous acceleration. These objects can go in directions that make no sense that a human pilot could never navigate these G-forces, so it's just physically impossible for them to be moving this way. And you'll see that one radar operator said that they tracked a UFO as it dropped from the sky at more than 30 times the speed of sound. So that's pretty incredible. And that's what you hear a lot about, too, just these unexplainable movements. It really defies the laws of physics. It's like it's impossible for a plane to maneuver that way. Even a helicopter or something, it has to be something more. They described it as projectile like a ping pong ball. They tracked it accelerating from a stopped standing position to traveling 60 miles a minute. Another one is hypersonic velocities without signatures. So like when aircrafts travel faster than the speed of sound, you'll hear the sonic boom, much like with rocket launches and stuff. Most UFO accounts have no sound. And that's kind of part of the evidence these encounters. This one's interesting. Low observability or cloaking. Part of what makes a UFO an unidentified flying object is that you really can't tell what it is. You can't really always see it. And the last observable is transmedium travel. So this is something that, you know, it can be traveling in the sky. It could be hovering. It could go into the water mm -hmm. and it doesn't really impact the movement. It's still moving at super fast speeds. All right. The fun stuff now, Miranda. <laughs> Have you ever witnessed what you thought was a UFO? Don't think I'm crazy. Uh, I do already. Once I was driving down a popular street in Burbank where I was living at the time and I saw three red dots in the sky all traveling together in like a triangle formation. And they were like hovering above the sky and all of a sudden just kind of zoomed off really fast to the left. Had no idea what it was. Turned on the radio station. There was nothing about a launch or anything. So I don't know what it was. 
I had you? similar experiences where it's just you observe it from a distance. You can't really tell what it is. One was I was a lot younger. It was a big green dot in the sky and I ran inside, grabbed binoculars and I looked at it and it did that crazy movement thing, kind of that ping pong. Stuff. Yeah, it moved around pretty radically and then shot off weather balloon and you couldn't really tell it was a weather balloon. You can't move that fast. <laughs> there you go. If you have any UFO experiences of yourself, send them to us. We'd love to hear. Oh, them. yeah. All right. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>